So how are we doing today? You ready for the word? Amen. If you brought your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 9. We are, as a church, observing Advent. Advent simply means the coming or the arrival. Uh, it's observed on the four Sundays between Thanksgiving and Christmas Day. And so this year is the 3rd, 10th, 17th, and 24th of December. We're in week two. Last week I preached on Tis the Season for Hope. And we're doing a sermon series this month on, on Tis the Season, looking at the themes of Advent. And if you missed last week, that message is online. Today we're going to talk about peace. Tis the season for peace. In Isaiah chapter 9, it says in verses 6 and 7, For unto us, or for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, as our wonderful counselor, he truly is amazing. He is our amazing, awesome, astonishing advisor and advocate as mighty God. Our salvation, strength, and security depend on him as our everlasting father. He has a permanent and paternal relationship with us. But we also heard from even the Advent reading this morning that Jesus Christ is our Prince of Peace. In other words, he's the one that gives us peace with God and the peace of God. We'll talk about that later on in the message and in the conclusion part of it. But how many realize that in the hustle and the bustle of the Christmas season, peace is about the last thing on our minds? It's probably what we need the most and yet what oftentimes eludes us, which is really why we should talk about it. Plus, if you're a realist today living in this world, uh, you know that there is also a lot of things that are disturbing that really need, uh, need the peace of God, all right? Uh, for example, today Israel is in a battle for survival as Jew hatred arises around the globe. Just days after Israeli babies were murdered by the demonic attacks from Hamas, calling it for what it is, some babies even baked in ovens or beheaded. Muslims in Australia were chanting, gas the Jews. In German cities of all places, Jewish children do not feel safe going to school. And even in America, Jewish students on campus have feared for their lives. That going on even in America right now. Anti-Semitism, a form of racism, is on the rise. Iran is threatening to rain down fire on America, while the UN lacks the moral fiber to condemn Hamas and the, the demonic attacks that happened on October 7. I say all that to say that doesn't sound too peaceful to me, and I'm sure it doesn't sound very peaceful to you as well, even as we continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. How about Ukraine, right? There's been lots of calls in the last few years about peace in Ukraine. This past February, the UN General Assembly calls for immediate end of war in Ukraine, 
so they could experience peace, or peace in Taiwan. A headline from a month ago, November 9, Taiwan facing Chinese pressure to stress importance of peace at APEC, APEC summit. It's like, what in the world is going on today? Meanwhile, while all this is happening, further insanity continues here in America. Uh, a few months ago, I think it was the end of August, someplace in there, one of the nation's leading pastors by name, Andy Stanley, invited practicing homosexuals, I'm talking about men, married to other men, and claiming to be Christians at the same time to share their insights, their quote-unquote insights, with his church. Church, if I ever do that or try doing that, you have my permission to kick me in the seat of my pants and ask for my resignation. Come on. The current Biden administration fights for transgender rights, meaning the right for a healthy 13-year-old minor girl to have her breasts needlessly removed and for 10-year-old minor boys to be prescribed pharmaceutical drugs that permanently sterilize him. Major retail stores are right now shutting down because of looting and robbery being out of control in this country. Anarchy. And just lawlessness in general. While at the same time, if you've been following the news this past week, exponentially more illegal immigrants have slipped across our border than at any time in history. Headlines from this past week, Lukeville, Arizona, is now the epicenter of illegal immigration as far as our nation goes, and there is now a massive surge of adult male migrants from across the globe, and the news has said this past week, many of which have come from Africa. I say all that to say it almost feels like things are spiraling out of control and not all that peaceful, if you ask me. Now, it's ironic to me that in Luke's narrative of Christ's birth in Luke chapter 2, when the angels announced the birth of Jesus Christ to the shepherds, they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Now, tis the season for peace, but yet sometimes peace, as I said, seems to elude us. Let's go back in time for a moment today and think about the life of Jesus Christ, starting with his birth. First of all, imagine, if you would, the shock of Mary. An angel appears to you and says that the Lord favors you and is with you, and that story in and of itself is hard for many to believe because angels just don't appear to someone, especially to a young woman in the Jewish culture. Mary was not a wealthy person, nor was Mary an influential person. So why did God choose her? Well, the angel told her that she's going to have a baby. Another problem, virgins don't have babies. A pregnant virgin, what will people think? And this is not going to be just any old baby. This is going to be the Messiah, the Son of God. And the angel did tell Mary that he, speaking of Jesus Christ, will be great. I'm sure that Mary is overwhelmed that she, that she was chosen, but she's not sure what to believe, you know? Mary knew that the prophet, about the prophesied Messiah, but I'm sure, no doubt, she was shocked that it was her that would give birth to him, which makes me, makes me think of this. I wonder how many times we say God can use anybody, but we don't believe God can use us. 
well, God can use Rita, God can use, you know, Doris, or God can use, you know, throwing your name, Stan, or whoever it might be, but God won't use me. You know, and Mary's story really teaches us, honestly, that we can expect our best laid plans to be interrupted, all right? Things don't always work out as we plan them. Joseph and Mary, for example, have been planning for a wedding until God says, prepare for a nursery. Now, that would have been a little stressful, a little lacking of peace, I would think. And I mean, imagine some 15-year-old Mary, uh, you know, engaged to her 20-something fiancé, and, and Joseph starts talking about floor plans and colors for the baby's room, and Mary says, or for their, or for their, for their house, whatever, and Mary says, Joe, honey, we need to talk. I'm pregnant. Imagine uh, how peace must have eluded him as well. Think of Mary and Joseph's added stress when, according to Matthew chapter 2, Herod found out about the newborn baby, the King Jesus, born King of the Jews, and, and Jesus would be a potential rival for Herod's throne. And so Herod ordered the slaughter of every male child under the age of two in the vicinity of Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph and their infant son barely managed to escape with their lives. Now, that doesn't sound real peaceful to me either. After that, we don't know much about Jesus' boyhood or early manhood, and we briefly covered some of that on our Wednesday night Bible study. But we do know that once he began his public ministry, there was conflict, there was controversy that surrounded him. At times, it seemed as if he intentionally provoked it. He repeatedly challenged and antagonized the Pharisees, the religious folks, as Pam talked about in Sunday school this morning. On one occasion, he verbally attacked them, calling them hypocrite snakes and sons of hell. Now, that wouldn't be a peaceful sermon, if you will. He, compa he compared them to whitewashed tombs filled with dead men's bones. Once again, that doesn't sound too peaceful. It's like, hey, Jesus, that's not how you preach today. You're going to offend somebody. People won't tithe. People will go to some other church where their ears can be tickled. On another occasion, Jesus became downright violent, or should I say passionate, when he found the, chain, the money vendors, the, chain, the money changers in the temple, which was the center of Jewish religion. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 2, verse 15, he made a whip out of cords, drove out off in the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. In verse 16 of John 2 says, Jesus says, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? Then he goes on to say, my father's house is going to be called a house of prayer. How's that for a peaceful protest. Finally, he was arrested and brought before Pilate. He outraged the Roman governor by refusing to even answer his questions or say anything in his defense. And we're supposed to believe that this agitator, this protester was the prince of peace that Isaiah prophesied about? I mean, just listen to what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, 34 through 36. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And so what are we to make of all that? 
You know, what does it tell us? Well, for one thing, it tells us that we need to revise our picture of gentle Jesus, meek and mild, as the old Wesleyan hymn puts it. At best, it's incomplete, and at worst, it's positively misleading. Yes, Jesus Christ was a good shepherd. Yes, as a good shepherd, he cares for his sheep. He cares for his people. Yes, he is humble and full of grace and mercy and compassion. Yes, he loves us and gave himself for us. Yes, he instructed his disciples to even let the little children to come to him. But Jesus was not a wimp. He was not weak or effeminate or cowardly. Jesus was courageous and bold and strong. So maybe, just maybe, the kind of peace he came to bring is different from the peace that people think about. For instance, did Jesus come to bring peace between people? That's the popular conception. And it's certainly true that he intends for those who are part of his body, the body of Jesus Christ, the church, to live together in peace. For Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. Romans 12, 16 and 18, live in harmony with one another. If it is possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And even in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, he said, blessed are the peacemakers. Now, I don't enjoy conflict, and I'm sure most of you don't as well. But when it comes down to it, if it comes down to a choice between truth and peace, truth will come first. Now, the Bible may hurt you with truth, but the Bible will never comfort you with a lie. When Paul was battling doctrinal error at Galatia, he asked him this question, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Now, evidently, some in the church had taken offense at his vigorous proclamation and defense of the gospel. But Paul was committed to preaching the truth, even if it made him their enemy. And when it came to sin, we just covered this a few months back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, but now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy. Good word for Andy Stanley. Not to invite to your podium those who are sexually immoral. An idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat, expel the wicked man from you. Now, would this lead to peace? Ultimately, yes, but not in the short run. You see, there's going to be times in your life and my life where we're going to have to take a stand. And hopefully, you're going to stand with truth. Hopefully, you're going to stand with righteousness and not try to have God conform himself to you, but you being conformed to him and to his ways. It's going to cost you. If you've ever been a part of a church that had to remove someone from membership, you know that that process, and even church discipline today, is rarely a peaceful process. Why? Because people get angry, they take sides, they spread rumors, they sin by taking on the offense of others, they leave the church, they badmouth others, and it would be much more peaceful just to ignore the whole problem and hope it goes away. But scriptures won't permit that we got to deal with that leaven of sin if sin is present. 
They command us, the Bible commands us to confront. And yes, the truth must always be proclaimed in love, but the gospel is going to bring division. Why? Because faith in Christ separates the believer from the sinner and from the world. A life lived according to Christ's righteous standards will bring ridicule, it's going to bring scorn, at times division, and yes, those who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's the Bible. Now obviously, much wisdom, much discernment is needed in all this. We need love, we need mercy and grace and humility, but preserving the peace defined as avoiding all conflict is not the ideal. That's not the goal. What is the goal? Honoring Christ with our lives and in his church is the goal. That you, that I, that we honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, and sometimes we have to say things and sometimes we have to do things that will disrupt the peace, at least temporarily. And that's true for us as a body, but it's also true of our relationships between individuals. So here's the great definition of peace. Peace is that inner contentment, inner calm, serenity, tranquility, free from all strife, at rest, an undisturbed spirit. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. It means harmony, wholeness, safety, prosperity, well-being, and success. What am I saying? I'm simply saying the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, came to bring shalom to those who trust in him to those who put their faith in him, to those who, who understand it's his kindness that leads us to repentance to begin with. I have a lot of favorite verses in the Bible, and Psalm 119, 165 is one of them. And it says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. We also have Psalm 29, verse 11. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. And then Isaiah 55, verse 12, you'll go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. It's one of the reasons I love being in the mountains. I love being in God's creation. When Micah prophesied about the coming Messiah, Micah wrote in Micah chapter 5, 4 and 5, He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth, and he, speaking of Christ, he will be their peace. He will be their peace. Zacharias says he will proclaim peace to the nations. His gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is called the gospel of peace. Peace is what the gospel is all about. How we can have peace with God and experience the peace of God. Acts 10.36 says, The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, here it is, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is characterized by peace. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort that, to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. And so the kingdom of God is characterized by peace, God's peace through Christ. 
Paul's prayer for all believers was this in 2 Thessalonians 3.16. May the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. Now, peace, the word peace is mentioned 236 times in Scripture. 24 times in the book of Isaiah alone. Real peace gives the idea of being fully alive, fully content in Him. Peace isn't the absence of conflict. Once again, we all go through stuff. But it is the total assurance or security in the midst of conflict. In other words, no matter what I'm going through, I can experience His peace. His peace that goes beyond human understanding. The peace that the world doesn't give and the peace the world can't take away. They can take everything else, but they can't take your peace. See, it's knowing that no matter what happens, please hear me, no matter what happens, God is still large and in charge. Exclamation point. Peace also carries with it the idea of rest at rest or an undisturbed spirit. It's where Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, he said, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so real peace means trusting Jesus to take care of, of the details of your life. Let me ask you this morning, are you trusting Jesus right now to take care of the details of your life? Ephesians 2, 13 through 17, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Verse 14, Ephesians 2, for he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 15, thus making peace. Verse 16, or 17, he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. See, it's impossible. It's impossible to have true peace without Jesus Christ living in you. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The word justified means more than just being forgiven. In other words, Jesus not only cleared me of all my sins, he also makes me acceptable to the Father because of his sacrifice. In other words, I have been declared before God. I have been declared innocent and guiltless. I have been declared holy in God's eyes, all because of what Christ has done. I speak Jesus. (laughs) Perfect peace can only be found when we are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. There is no more hostility between us, no, no sin blocking our relationship with Him. You see, peace with God is possible only because Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins through his death on the cross. Let me also add here that peace proclaimed by the sinner is not real peace. It is numbness. It is spiritual blindness. Why do I say that? Because I know many sinful souls who claim to have peace, who are yet living in sin, who continue to practice sin. And these people say, well, I have peace. I'm I'm not afraid. I have rest. But their rest is not a real peace. 
It's not a real rest. It's a delusion. It's the result of a satanic lie. It's a false peace that will damn and destroy. Matter of fact, the Bible says there is no peace for the wicked, but the wicked are like the tossing of the sea, for it cannot be quiet. And that is Isaiah 57, 20, 21. Isaiah 59, they have made their paths crooked. Whoever treads on them does not know peace. Further, God's word says in Deuteronomy 29, 21, it is impossible for the sinner to know peace because the Lord will single him out for adversity. See, God says that such people can't have real peace and that the peace they claim is a delusion. Why is that? Because according to the Bible, only righteousness can produce peace and nothing else. Isaiah 32, 17. And the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the work of righteousness, who is Christ, the work of righteousness shall be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine, or should I say, I am his. All right. John 14, 27. Jesus said, peace, peace I leave with you. My peace, my peace I give to you. And he says this, I do not give it to you as the world gives. But then he says, do not let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. See, you will never find true peace, true biblical peace, security, rest, reconciliation, apart from the true Prince of Peace. He gives us peace because he is the prince. He is the author of peace. So I say this morning, tis the season for peace. Let me begin to wind this down by sharing with you how we can experience his peace in the midst of whatever is going on in your life right now. The first one is this. Number one, rule. Rule. Let Christ's peace rule or govern your heart. You can only find perfect peace by letting him be the Lord of your life, by letting Jesus really be your boss. It's a matter, really, of your heart. Colossians 3.15, once again, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Do what? Rule. Since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Now, the original language here means that the peace of God, let it rule your heart. It means let the peace of God serve as an umpire. It will let you know, the peace of God will let you know when you're striking out and when you're safe. Let it rule. Like an umpire would rule a baseball game, let God's peace rule your heart. In other words, let the peace of God call the shots in your life. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 once again, Now may the peace of the Lord himself give you peace at all times in every way. How often at all times? And in what ways? In every way. Now, with the lordship part of, of surrendering and letting him rule your life, I would also encourage you to surrender your wanting to know or to understand everything that God has you or has allowed you to go through. There's a lot of things that we go through that we don't know why. We don't, we don't understand it. But, but I do know that his ways are higher than my ways. All right, the Bible says so. And also, when I became a Christian, I gave up my right to know and understand everything. It's still a walk by faith, not by sight. All right, We still trust and obey, for there's no other way. Now, I have placed myself under his control. He is to rule and reign in my life. He is to have 
preeminence, does he? Number one rule, number two, relationships. Put your most significant relationships first. The most significant is your relationship with Jesus. In other words, spending personal time with him, not only at church, but also at home, on your drive to work or whatever it might be. Another one of my favorite Bible verses is Isaiah 26, verse 3, reading from the New King James Version. But it says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. God will keep us in his perfect peace. It's where peace begins, is sustained, and will always be in your most significant relationships, and it starts with God. Now, other than God, then comes if you're married, your spouse, then your family, you know, those kind of things. Uh, your church family, the Bible still says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, as we see the coming of the Lord drawing near, and I see it, I hope you see it, we ought to be meeting together more often and more often and more often. In other words, stay connected to the body of Christ. Stay connected to the family of God. I had a Bobby College professor, he used to say it this way. He says, the banana that strays from the bunch gets peeled. <laughs> Rule, relationships. The third one is this, kiss. Keep it simple, saints. You thought there was a different word for the last S, didn't you? It's what I call the simple versus the complex. In the context of false teachers, Paul warned the church in Corinth, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. That your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. In other words, Paul is saying to the church at Corinth, don't be led astray by false teachers. Don't be deceived by accepting a distorted gospel or a different gospel or another spirit. Keep your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Your wholehearted devotion to Jesus. Paul is saying it's really that simple. Don't make it complex. To put it another way, the main thing about being a Christian is to see that the main thing remains the main thing. Keep it simple, saints. See, the main thing is that, that the, at the heart and center of your life is the simplicity that is in Christ. I noticed over the years as a, as a follower of Christ, it has been my observation that when religion becomes complicated, it's always a sign that we're drifting away from the realities and centralities of faith. But keep it simple. It's kind of like what Jesus said to Martha in Luke chapter 10, 41 and 42. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. Many complex. But, but only one thing, verse 42, but only one thing is needed. And he says, Mary has chosen what is better it will not be taken away from her. And so Jesus is, is making the distinction here as well between the simple one thing that Mary chose versus the many things that Martha chose. What did Paul say? But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I'm moving forward. I want to know him, you know? What am I saying? I'm saying, church, keep your focus on Christ this Christmas. If something is really stressing you out, do you have to do it? 
I mean, if that batch of cookies that takes you a whole day to do is taking too much time, then don't make them. I don't need them. Most of you don't need them. All right? We shouldn't be eating them anyway. Or do you absolutely, positively have to put up all the lights outside that you did last year? If you can't do it no more, there are companies you can hire or you can do without. I enjoy what's here. We have two trees up at home. One's a metal one, about that tall, and one's about that tall. Both of them fit in my closet or my pantry. I take the bag off it to keep it from getting dusty over the rest of the year, set it on the table, okay, our house is decorated. <laughs> I'm good by that because I get to enjoy this every day of the week. All right? I'm just simply saying, state your expectations up front. What is the main thing that needs to happen this Christmas? And keep it simple. Now, the older I get, the, the simpler I like things. How many know that we mankind, the human race, likes to complicate things? For example, God created two sexes, male and female. He created them. Mankind and a certain party in our government has made up all the other, according to them, whatever 80-some different ideas here. God made marriage simple. Marriage is between one man and one woman. Mankind has complicated it with all the other so-called options. What am I saying? We complicate things. We need to keep things simple. Which things? Which events? What things should I bake? What things shouldn't I bake? You know, whatever. Just keep it simple. Also with this, and I'm going to be moving on, respect your budget. Respect your budget. Have you determined in advance how much you're going to spend for the gifts this year if you're buying gifts? But I'm here to tell you, January is coming and so are the bills. All right? Don't go into more debt just so you can get the latest and the greatest for whoever's kid that doesn't need the latest and greatest. Kiss. Keep it simple, saints. Let me close by going back to where we started. Isaiah said he'll be called the Prince of Peace. Now, the Prince of Peace came with a dual tasking to give us peace with God and to give us the peace of God. God's peace is twofold in nature. First of all, the physical aspect of peace. Number one, part of our peace is physical in nature in that we have peace with God in that we are no longer warring with God. We are no longer his enemies, haters of God, according to the Bible. You know, once again, therefore, Romans 5, 1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with, everybody say with, peace with God. In other words, the disciple, the follower, the believer in Christ has experiential results of their justification. We have peace with God. Some of the important uh, in Greek manuscript, it says, let us have peace with God. In this sense, it means let us keep on having. In the sense of, let us keep on enjoying the peace of God. Now, we're not responsible for peace in the sense of making it, but rather we are responsible in the sense of enjoying it. Let me also add that we must have the peace with God before we can experience the peace 
of God. So number one, peace with God. The second part of the peace that Christ gives is an emotional peace, the peace of God. Now when I say it's an emotional peace, what I mean is it's an internal sense of well-being, internal sense of everything is going to be okay. Everything, I'm at rest in him, it's going to be good. Uh, Paul tells us that God is not a God of disorder, but of peace in 1 Corinthians 14, 33. See, Christ not only wants to give us peace that confirms and settles our eternal destiny, but he also wants to give us peace that brings security and hope to our existence in this life. What am I saying? I'm simply saying knowing Christ allows us to face any problem, even death, even death, even in our dying days, and still have God's peace in our heart. That's what I want. I want to know the peace with God through Christ being reconciled, but I also want to know the peace of God. See, this peace that we've been given is not the absence of conflict, but it's the ability, the God-given ability to cope with conflicts and frustrations. Even in the midst of life's most exhausting difficulties, God's peace will be present. Why? Because his peace passes all human understanding. Isaiah 9, 6 says that Jesus is, the Messiah is, the Prince of Peace. My question for us today is, do you know him as your Prince of Peace? In other words, have you come to a place in your life where you have repented of your sins where you have become a follower of Jesus Christ. And so, first of all, do you have peace with God? And that's only possible by having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Secondly, not only do we have peace with God, but do you have the peace of God? How many would say, you know, Pastor, I have peace with God. I've been born again. But right now, because of what I'm going through, I'm not experiencing the peace of God. I know, I know peace with God, but I don't have the peace of God. And I'm ready to leave the turmoil, the, the anxiety, the worry, the pressures, the stress, the hurt, the pain before him today. I'm giving him the things that are stealing my peace. And today, even though I have peace with God, I, I need more of the peace of God. Church, let me exhort you today to let the Holy Spirit touch your heart. Let him assure you that he has this for you. You don't have to do this alone. He, he's there for you. And just as sure, as we, we talked about this last Wednesday night, just as sure as he commanded the winds and the waves to stop, he'll do it again. Just as he was a shelter and a stronghold for his people in the Bible, he is that for you again today. Why? Because he's a prince of peace. Yeah, amen. He's a prince of peace. And he wants you today to know peace with God and the peace of God. Let's all stand to our feet and we'll close in prayer. Tis the season for peace. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you today for the peace of God that passes all human understanding. 
The peace of God in which the world doesn't give and the world can't take away. I thank you for Jesus, our Prince of Peace, who came preaching peace to this world a few thousand years ago. And Father, I pray today for those who are here, first of all, that don't have peace with you, that today would be their day of salvation. If you have come today and do not know where you're going to spend eternity, if you have not repented of your sin, then today is your day of salvation. Today is your day to repent of your sin that separates you from God and to get your heart right with God. If that describes where you're at today, you've never, you've never experienced peace with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, through His blood sacrifice on the cross, then today, God speaking to your heart, I want you to say, Pastor Brian, today I, I need forgiveness in my life. I don't have peace with God. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. If that describes where you're at right now, just put your hand up high and say, God, today I repent of my sin and I invite Jesus Christ into my life to radically change me from the inside out. If God's speaking to your heart about getting right with God, today is the day. Secondly, I'm assuming you have peace with God because of the Christ's sacrifice but you've been going through a hard and difficult time and you're saying, Pastor, I need to know the peace of God today. I need to know the peace of God. If that describes where you're at, and I don't know what you're all going through, I know that some of you are going through some tremendous stuff. But you say, today I need, I need the peace of God. Put your hand up, I want to pray for you. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you for being honest enough. Anyone else? Father, for every hand raised today, we pray with them and pray for them that they would experience the peace of God, the peace that you give them. God, bring calm. Bring calm and serenity. Rest to their souls, I pray. Father, as they raise their hands, they're just saying, Lord, I need a touch from you today. And God, touch them. Assure them that you are there for them and that today, even though in, in light of everything that's going on in the world today, you are still a God of peace. We thank you for that today. We thank you for the promise of your word that we can experience that day in and day out in light of and in spite of what we're going through. God, give that rest of soul, that shalom to your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Man, God bless you all. Thank you for being here today. We have our Wednesday night service. I'll be teaching this Wednesday on Jesus having power over demons. We'll talk about that a little bit with spiritual warfare. Uh, and and as, as we talk about the life and teachings of Christ, we have youth group. We have stuff for kids as well. But have a great week in the Lord. God bless you all. Thank you for being here. If you would like prayer for whatever reason, I'll be available to pray with you, pray for you. And if you need anointing with oil for healing, whatever it might be, let's believe God today. God bless you. Have a great week in Him. Go in His peace. Amen.